it is New Year's Eve Eve. We are anticipating the day in which we anticipate the new year. Uh, we have gone through four weeks of anticipation of the birth of Christ, as Nathan led us uh, through a sermon of series from Isaiah. And now Christmas is, has been celebrated and new anticipation. What do you say on uh, the day of Christmas Eve, Eve? What I'd like to do is to uh, encourage you and maybe exhort you uh, to examine your priorities for this coming new year. And so I have turned to the, uh, to the second, which is the last closing chapter of the prophecy of Haggai. Haggai is a minor prophet. Nathan preached to passage of Isaiah. Isaiah is probably the most major of the major prophets. I am preaching from one of the minorists of the minor prophets. I watched Becky. She just just almost turned inside out when I said that. I do that when there are English teachers uh, in the room. Uh, The most minor, the least major of the minor prophets. And there's a reason for that. He's the pastor. I'm the assistant pastor. We deal with minor things. And with that said, read with me. The last four verses, and by the way, only four verses, that's all we're allowed. But uh, the last four verses of Haggai chapter 2, beginning at verse 20, printed in your bulletin, perhaps on your cell phone uh, or uh, whatever you've got, uh, your Bible maybe even. Uh, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, The son of Shealtiel declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Come, O Spirit of God, and give us ears to hear. Lord, touch our hearts, our minds, our souls. Open your word to us, open us to it, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Haggai was among the exiles who returned to Jerusalem uh, after the exile. Uh, And he was there when they began to rebuild the temple. And if you've read the book of Ezra, you know that they began well, but then they they stalled. They kind of slowed down and finally just stopped for a number of years. 
And so God spoke to them through Haggai uh, to inspire the exiles to finish what they had begun. Ezra records, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And sure enough, within four years of Haggai's prophesying to the people and calling them to uh, re-examine their priorities, uh, they completed the temple. They got the work done. Uh, Haggai called people to get their priorities straight. And he still calls you and me, God's people, everywhere, to do the same. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'm going to begin by talking about three priorities from Haggai uh, for you and me, perhaps, uh, this new year. And I'm not going to do that from the part of the text I read. I'm going to do that from uh, all that I didn't read in Haggai, the first chapter and the first 19 chapters of chapter uh, 2. And there, there are these three priorities that seem to rise up out of what's taking place and what Haggai's uh, preaching to the people. Uh, In the first, and not necessarily, this is the first in the order of the book, if you follow through the book, not necessarily in importance. The first priority is the church. And that that covers pretty much all of chapter one. Uh, As as I said, they began well. Uh, But then they got sidetracked. And they started building their own homes, their own lives, their own families, their own businesses. And they neglected the temple. Sound familiar? Uh, So God God called Haggai to call them, and through Haggai, he called them to turn to the more important business of rebuilding the temple. It symbolized God's presence with them. Indeed, it was where God met with his people and where his people met with them. So it was the center of their worship. It was the place of sacrifice. And its neglect was a sign of the spiritual lethargy of his people around them. My route to South Baton Rouge Church every Sunday and several weekdays during the, the year uh, uh, is to leave my house and drive Blue Bonnet to the Madelines, pick up my wife's cappuccino and drive down Hyacinth to the church. I go down Hyacinth. And, and there on Hyacinth, if you, if you drive that way ever, you know that there, there used to be a corner, there were about three lots, or four, maybe four or five lots in the corner that were, were empty. And then maybe even two years ago, I was driving by and I kept noticing that the empty lots there. And all of a sudden one day there was a billboard up. And uh, it announced that there were going to be some townhouses built on that property. And uh, there were two people's photographs, pictures on on the billboard. I I, I don't know if they were uh, developers or the Contractors or sales agents or what, but there was a man and a woman and, and, uh, in rather large pictures, and there it was, and it was going to be built. And nothing happened. And nothing happened. And nothing happened. And then finally one day, 
Something had happened since the last time I drove down there. There were stakes in the ground, you know, wood stakes, that's all, but they were marking out, obviously, a foundation or two. And uh, then I drove back the next week and there were more stakes. The grass had been cut and the stakes were driven and I kept driving by there. And the grass grew and nothing else happened. And uh, then one day the grass was cut and somebody was out there and they were, looked like framing up, you know, for, in order to uh, uh, pour a slab. And so they had all the boards there and looked to me like they're about to dug all, you know, scraped off the, dirt, the grass and the top layer of uh, dirt and everything. It looked like they were ready to do something and nothing happened. And I drive there and I wonder what in the world. And then all of a sudden one day the concrete trucks were there and they were pouring concrete and, and the slabs were there. They finished the slabs and, and they sat there for months. And you can't help but wonder what in the world is going on. And then all of a sudden, I got, and the framers were there, and they were framing up three buildings there, I guess maybe three or four townhouses per building. And uh, they got them framed up, got them backed in. Two of them, they roofed. Uh, the middle one, no roof. And everything has been stopped for I don't know how long now. I mean, all the wood, particularly on the on the one that is in the roof is all gray and ugly looking and you wonder if it's you know, going to rot or not. And uh, it's just stopped. And, and the, uh, the signs are down and I don't know if they ran out of money, don't know if they didn't pass inspection, didn't know if there's a fight between the developers, you know, who knows what happened. Anyway. It led me to ask questions about the people building it, developing it, you know, all of this. Well, so were the neighbors around, you know, the Jews, looking at that semi-built temple, this one they had made such a good beginning on, and yet there it was, just the foundation, and a little bit of work done, and for, I think it was 16 years before they got back to the job. And it led to ridicule and to you know, jokes about them and, and their God. Point is, a lot more can be said, but the point is simply this, to call you to make a priority of the church. Uh, it should be a priority in our lives every year, but make it this year if you didn't last year. And I'm not talking about simply attending church, going to church, although that's where everything else kind of springs from. Uh, but join and actively participate in stuff, in community groups, in Bible studies, in uh, activities that we do in Gardeer and other things that are happening in the life of the church. Hurricane relief teams, there are all sorts of things that, that are going in. But, Write it down and, and, and make that a priority of what can, I, what can I do? What do I have time to do? What do I have ability to do? Let me take more part in the life of what's going on at South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Uh, got musical gifts. We can use musicians. You got uh, sound system gifts. 
we knew that uh, teachers, greeters, ushers, groundskeepers, a lot of other folks. Yeah. What, be looking, what can I do? Uh, sign up for, for a, a, a ministry trip to, to, for hurricane uh, relief and other sort of storm relief. Uh, all these sorts of things. Above all, will you pray for the church? South Baton Rouge Church, but also our sister churches. Uh, Kelly Dotson sitting right there from Faith Church in Clinton. Pray for our sister churches in Presbytery uh, and throughout the uh, PCA. Pray for the church in the world. Pray for the persecuted church. Pray for missions and missionaries. Make it a priority to do so. Not just every once in a while we say, oh yeah, well let me pray for Kelly. Uh, Let me pray for uh, whoever, you you know, Stuart Mills. Oh yeah, I ought to pray for him. Lord bless Stuart and everything going on in Peru or wherever he is. Not that sort of prayer, but a regular, consistent, organized, orderly prayer prayer for the church. The second, and again, not necessarily in importance, and uh, second in order as it appears in, through uh, the prophets of Haggai, it, the, the second priority is Christ. And that's the priority of chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Uh, in those verses, Uh, The Lord says, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And you notice I'm not doing much uh, uh, exposition of the particular text at all. I'm just going straight to uh, application. But the question is, when, Lord? When will the latter glory outshine the former glory? And the answer is, ultimately, in the incarnation, life, death, burial, resurrection, reign, and return of the Lord Jesus. Jesus spoke of rebuilding the temple. Remember during his earthly ministry, sitting there and looking at the temple and admiring it and and he said, I'll tear it down, I'll rebuild it in three days. But he wasn't speaking entirely of the earthly temple. He was speaking of his body, speaking of himself. John wrote, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the literal word that we translate, dwelt among us. He tabernacled He threw his tent, that tent that was the gathering place of God's people, their meeting place with the Lord. It's where God met with them and where they met with God. It was where the sacrifice was made, where the lamb was slain. Jesus is where we meet God. Jesus is the lamb that was slain for us. And so we continue the celebration of his coming. Do that. Focus on the gospel, on the cross, on the resurrection, on his present glory. 
and on his coming glory. In prayer, in reading, in thought, meditation, conversation. O Lord, once lifted on the glorious tree, your death has brought us life eternally. So shall our song of triumph ever be, praise to the crucified for victory. Third, again, not necessarily importance, the third priority is holiness. In chapters 2, 10 through 19, Haggai says that their problem was they were offering unclean sacrifices. They were offering sacrifices just out in the open instead of at the temple where they should have. But they were unclean, and so every work of their hands were unclean. Everything they did was touched by their uncleanness. And so the work of the temple, the work of the church, was hampered, it was hindered, and ultimately it was stopped by their unholiness, by their lack of sanctification, by their disregard for holiness. They needed to seek holiness. They needed sanctification. They needed to turn from their sin to God so the building of the temple could be completed. Think about that. If we think about the work of the church in the world, the work we're to be about in the world, and how it's hampered by our lack of personal holiness so often. How it's set back when people hear us and see us. Perhaps the people closest to us see and hear and experience something utterly different from what we say we're about. Point is, make holiness a priority this year. Let us, in the words of the author to the Hebrews, strive to attain that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So that the building of the church won't be hindered by our unholiness. All that covers the first one and two-thirds chapters of the book of Haggai. Sort of things, there was all application, and none of the details of the prophecies, but the ultimate application of them. So now let's come to uh, the last four verses in this little book, which are our text, and again, I'll, I'll read it again. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one of them by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord and shall make and make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you declares the Lord of hosts Haggai is still dealing here with priorities but not ours note that his other 
prophecies were addressed to groups. His first one to the leaders for the people. His second one was to the leaders and the people. His third one was to the priests before the people. But now it's different. Now it's addressed directly to Zerubbabel, who's the governor. But it's to him in his representative role. The key to understanding the prophecy, I think, is verse 23, and particularly that word signet. The signet was a seal engraved with a name or uh, even, even a, a, a likeness of the person, often on fine stone, uh, used to seal letters, used to seal contracts, uh, used to uh, seal loans or whatever. It was valuable. It was precious. It was a personal possession, and you wore it either on your as a ring on your finger or on a chain around your neck. And you kept it on your person day in and day out. It was valuable. Uh, you wanted to protect it. You wanted to preserve it. Think a platinum American Express card squared, you know, or something. You just, it was that precious, you held on to it. It was dear, it was precious. God's talking to Zerubbabel. I will make you like my signet. This bugged me. In fact, this was almost, seriously, this text was almost the death of me. Couldn't figure it out. I was looking for a priority for us because I've been preaching through Haggai. This is several years ago. And I preached through Haggai and, and uh, found these things, and I couldn't find a priority in there for us. I said, well, I got to finish this sermon series. I got to come up with something. And so I'm in the shower where I do my best thinking and my best preaching. Uh, I don't. I sing other places, but I preach in the shower, not loud usually, but to myself. It makes a long showers and high water bills. But I'm in there and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and you know, and it's like Wednesday or Thursday and I got to preach this thing Sunday. And I was thinking about it and, and thinking about it. And when it dawned on me, I, I literally, I jumped or did something and I slipped in that stupid shower and, and, and grabbed a towel rack. Fortunately, it gave way, but it broke my fall. And I didn't hit my head, and I'm here to preach this marvelous sermon. But uh, so there I am. Uh, I'm trying to figure it out. And, uh, and it hit me. It hit me. Well, stupid. The priority isn't ours, it's God's. Here's his priority. That's not what I felt. That wasn't really the exciting part. I couldn't help you know, this is a redone sermon. Uh, last week when Nathan was preaching, uh, I said, you know, we're preaching the same sermon. We're going to get to the same place. But here's what it dawned on me, and this is when I found. God's priority is us. I got excited, and I jumped and slipped, and everything happened. Uh, anyway, 
God promises to preserve and to protect. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 19, this comes together. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And then in chapter, later on in that chapter, in verse 19, from this day on, I will bless you. And then comes the prophecy to Zerubbabel in the next verse. He would protect and preserve, first of all, the line of David, which was the line of Jesus, was it not? Uh, Zerubbabel represented the Davidic line. In, in the genealogies of Jesus, in Mark 1 and, and uh, uh, Matthew 1, pardon me, and Luke 3, in verse 12 of, of Matthew 1, you find him listed. In verse 27 of chapter 3 of Luke, you find him listed there in the lineage of Jesus. He's an ancestor of the Lord Jesus. He's in the line of David. And the promise was fulfilled in Jesus' birth. Now you remember the promise made to David. God said, I will build you a house. You won't build me a house. So the original temple. I'll build you a house. And and. You follow it through, and he's talking about Jesus. And, and David's response to that was, Lord, how can it be me? You know, John Newton was reading that passage, and he read, you know, that astounding promise to David, and he read David's response. And the next thing John Newton did was write Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The promise was fulfilled when Jesus was born. It was fulfilled at Christmas. It will be fulfilled in finally and forever when he returns. The, uh, the signet also is a sign of authority. If you have, bare, you know, you're wearing a signet, you got some authority, you got some clout. And uh, Jesus said, all authority, if you will, all clout on heaven and earth is given to me, is mine. Secondly, God says, he would protect and preserve the righteous nation. Zerubbabel was the governor represented the nation. When our governor, Governor Edwards, goes to Washington, he's representing the nation, you and me, and all the other citizens of this place. It wasn't just the Davidic line that was to be uh, uh, preserved and protected, but the nation as well. The the whole nation was to be preserved. you know, and, and, and as I thought through about all that, you remember, yeah, I'm jumping around, I know, but uh, in Genesis, in the 18th chapter of Genesis, God says he's going to judge Sodom and, and Lot's there, Abraham's nephew, and Abraham says, wait a minute, well, let me read it. Then Abraham drew near and said, the Lord's standing there in front of him, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in a day, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I won't do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 are found there. For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Now, this isn't Israel he's talking about. I understand that. It's not the righteous nation. But I can't help thinking of, every time I read that, of what Billy Graham said comparing the United States with Sodom. You remember what he said? He said, if God doesn't judge the United States of America on the single issue of abortion, now you can pick a handful of others, but he happened to be talking about abortion. You have to apologize to Sodom. Why are we still standing? Here's what I know. Because of the church as an integral part of the nation. The nation needs the church and it needs the church's holiness. It needs the church's holiness. We're the ten. The church of Jesus Christ. God will preserve, I think, the the nation where the church is. Third, he would protect the church of Jesus Christ. Zerubbabel was building the temple, the type of the church. Uh, It's also a type of Christ who promised, I will build my, pardon me, he, Zerubbabel, is also a type of Christ who promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Zerubbabel was building the temple, the type of the church. Uh, Christ was building the church. The gates of hell were not preserved against it. And you and I look at the world, and you, we look at the church, we look at the suffering of the church, and it doesn't seem like the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It seems so often that the gates of hell are prevailing against it. In 2000, Paul Koistra, who was then the head of Mission to the World, our mission uh, committee of the uh, PCA, 
wrote in their publication uh, network. I'm going to read it. Sixty years after the ascension of Christ, there were 181 million people on earth and 500,000 Bible-believing Christians. That is a ratio of 362 to 1. He wrote this in, in 2000. Only 20 years ago, 1980, 4.46 billion people populated, populated the earth. But the church had grown to 2.75 million, a ratio of 16 to 1. Now, in the year 2000, the world population has mushroomed to 6.9 billion. But the number of Christians has exploded to 677 million. This is a ratio of 9 to 1. He writes, even though we've had a world population that's grown enormously over the last 2,000 years, the church has grown 41 times faster. I don't know where he got his numbers. I don't know where they came from, but nobody rebuked him. Nobody, I don't think, uh, called his bluff. Uh, Despite persecution, despite the onslaught of Satan, despite our own sin, God is protecting, God is preserving the church and prospering her. And when we say the church, understand, we're talking about us, you and me and our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world. And one day, one day, Haggai's promise of the coming glory will be fully and finally and forever fulfilled. Jesus is coming to finally and forever deliver us from our sin because we're God's priority God sent him forth to be born of a woman born under law that we might be delivered from the law and receive the adoption as sons and daughters of the living God his adopted children. So you and I can live in this coming new year, 2019, knowing our Father's highest priority is us. It's us. He has promised to protect and preserve us to that end to bring us home to spend all eternity with him. Exerting all his power, everything, to that end. Sending his son to the cross to that end. Raising him from the dead so you and I know that the debt was paid the ransom was received that it was indeed enough God's highest priority in 2019 
is us. What greater encouragement could you and I have to live it for him? Let us pray.